when the, the church began to grow and spread, that happened not just because of superstar apostles like Paul and Peter that went out, but it also happened because the church behind sent them. And sending means that you are a praying people. And see, I'm already way ahead of where I'm supposed to be. There we go. And a praying people understands that we depend on God in all things. That when God tells us, my God shall supply all our needs according to his glorious riches, we believe that to be true. And when we look around and we say, God, this world is broken, we know that we don't have to carry that burden on our shoulders, that he carries it for us. As we take all these things to the Lord in prayer, the old hymn tells us. But as I told you last week, we're going to spend two weeks uh, doing a a mini-series looking at a bit of the example Jesus gave us of what it means to pray and understanding the mandate of the, the basics of prayer. Because as I shared last week and again, even with our Saturday group yesterday, here's what happens. A lot of people like prayer as a concept, right? We like the idea of prayer. But when it gets down to it, most of us probably feel like, I'm not praying enough, or I don't know how to talk to God, or I don't know what I should talk about, or I feel very selfish when I pray, or how do I know what to say, or does he even care? And so as we start today, I want us to understand just what prayer is in just a few moments, because it doesn't take long. The Bible is very clear. It's very easy for me to teach on prayer because so much of the Bible tells us how to do it. And so I just get to try to summarize it and say it's a joy and it's a privilege. But it starts with a simple concept. It starts with an understanding of our need for prayer. The great philosopher that he is from the early 1990s, R&B superstar MC Hammer told us well that we have to pray if we are to make it today. Now, others said it a little more eloquently than MC Hammer. A guy that many of you are familiar with named James Hudson Taylor said it in a much better way, I think. And James Hudson Taylor is one of my heroes of the faith because he had health issues, he had stomach issues, he had lots of different things going on. I can relate to that. What I can't relate to is just how amazingly God used him in miraculous ways to open up China, the good news of Jesus Christ. But as Hudson Taylor was given this compelling call to take Jesus Christ to the people of China, he he knew that he couldn't do it without prayer. And he compared prayer to much like a symphony or a band or an orchestra. And he says, you don't have your concert first and then tune your instrument afterward. If you tune your instrument afterward, it would sound terrible, right? Begin the day with the word of God in prayer and get first of all into harmony with him. You see, one of the great joys of prayerful dependence on God is it brings us into harmony with God our Father 
through Jesus, his son, empowered by the Holy Spirit. How does it do that? Well, if you look at John 17, you'll get a feel for what prayer looks like. Because, and and if you're looking at your notes right now, you're going to see that I'm going to start at the bottom and work my way up a little bit. If you've got your notes in your bulletin, I'm going to ask the question first of why do we pray? Many of us, if I ask the question, why do we pray? We would start with because I ask God for stuff. Now, we wouldn't admit that out loud. We wouldn't want to say it quite like that, that when I'm reminded to pray, it's because I'm saying, God, fix this or help me or give me. (laughs) But deep down, we're drawn to prayer because God, fix this, help me, I want this, give me. And there's nothing inherently wrong with telling God our needs. But that's not the starting point of prayer. Jesus Christ as he's preparing to go to the very cross to bear our sins so that our sins would be remembered no more, they'd be forgotten, so that all who would call on his very name would be given eternal life because of the sacrifice he gave on our behalf. Preparing for all this, preparing to be betrayed by two friends, first Judas and then Peter, knowing that all of this is coming, knowing that pain is coming, Jesus prays. And when he prays, he teaches us so much of what prayer is. Many of your Bibles call this the high priestly prayer because Jesus Christ is the great and complete high priest of the kingdom of heaven. That's his role. He is the ultimate sacrifice. He's the one that could give proper access to God the Father through his spilled blood. And as he's preparing to do this, as he's preparing to offer his body as a sacrifice, how does he pray? He says, Father. He has the audacity to cry out, Dear Heavenly Father, which now we do as normal. We think that's normal. That wasn't then. This was a holy thing. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Now, please don't take this as a prescriptive. This then is how we should pray. That's in Matthew 6. We'll get there. This is not us saying, God, glorify me so that I can honor you. Make me really big so that I can honor you. That's not the point here. Jesus is fully God. He can pray that. You and I cannot. We are not fully God. We are to be praying, God, be glorified and be lifted up. What this teaches us is the amazing understanding that 2,000 years on we still wrestle with. God is three persons working together to bring glory to himself and show us the light of all eternity. Prayer brings us into a fraction of the glory of God that we get to look forward to. In the same way that communion is like the rehearsal dinner before the wedding. Because if we are the bride of Christ and Christ is to return, his groom for his bride, remembering what he's done, proclaiming his death until he returns, what Mark just read us is rehearsing the joys of spending eternity with him. 
in the same way prayer is enjoying a little bit of the glory that we are promised for all eternity. That it's all about God. And as we enter into a place of prayer, our focus shifts from us to Him. That's the ultimate why of prayer, that it exalts God. That at least for a few minutes a day, our focus is shifted off of our circumstances and onto Him. It's a great thing. Is it easy? Absolutely not. I don't know about you, but my household has got Olympic fever. Started on Saturday morning when my daughter that's nearly a teenager wanted to get up early on a Saturday. That in itself is miraculous. Then she wanted to do it so she could watch the opening ceremonies. Big deal. Let us watch them play. That's what I care about. But if you start to watch the athletes and as you start to hear their stories, uh, by the way, this morning a Chinese swimmer got a silver medal, so yay for that. Uh, And an American also got a silver And an Australian won some gold. You know, I could go around. We're doing pretty well as a congregation in the Olympics so far. But you start to look at these people, and one, you think, wow, these are physical freaks. I don't have a body that looks like that. You know, I I watch, I, I like volleyball. I shouldn't because I'm way too short for it. But I especially like what's called beach volleyball because you play on a beach. I'm also not nearly tan enough for that. But anyway, years ago, I got to watch a professional beach volleyball match. And there was a a man, he was just under two meters tall. And I remember watching him warm up. And if you know, volleyball nets have on the sides these long antennas that stick out to show where the out of bounds is. And the ball has to travel inside those antennas as it crosses the net. Those antennas for the men stretch 12 feet. And this guy, as he warmed up, would stand and just jump, just like that. Looked that easy, except he would jump all the way to 12 feet, touch the top of the antenna, and glide back down. I'm happy if I can get to eight feet. And he was doing it, and it made it look so easy. Or we watch these girls, the best gymnast arguably, according to the New York Times, ever. Mary Lou Retton says that she's not the greatest ever. They now say that this girl, I can't remember her name, but she's four foot eight. But when you watch her run across the floor and flip a bunch of times and do all these things that I don't know the names of, every one of us is an expert on gymnastics for two weeks, starting right now. But they do all these things and they make it look so easy. Here's the deal. Nothing about what they do is easy. You don't become the world's best gymnast volleyball player, swimmer, the first gold medal presented, rifling or shooting, obviously an American one, uh, so that was good, from my home, from my birth state, West Virginia, so that was great, but they practice, they work hard, they shape their bodies, they discipline their minds, their entire lives are built around discipline and order to make sure they are prepared prepared to do their very best at the job they have to do in representing their country. You want to be good at prayer? Don't listen to me talk about it. Do it. One of the great slogans 
of all time came from Nike, which just tells us just do it. And prayer has to start with, I want to glorify God, and the best way I can glorify God is by starting with depending on Him and going first to Him. It starts there. It's what Jesus did in His hour of great need. And what else? Well, before that, when Jesus' disciples looked at him, you know, they're walking around with Jesus. You'd think they would have picked up a few things because Jesus was known to often withdraw to a secret place and pray. But they still are like, "Uh, Jesus, could you teach us to pray? And what's the first thing he said? It was the first thing we started our service with this morning. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, exalted, Wonderful, glory is your great name. You are amazing. You are to be up here. Louis Giglio, a famous pastor in America, is famous for talking about uh, Moses and the burning bush experience when he's asking, what am I supposed to do? Who am I to tell them you are, God? And God responds with, tell them I am. And in English, in In Hebrew as well, it doesn't make sense. It's not a name. It's a phrase. Tell him, I am sent you. Prayer that's worshipful and glorifying to God starts with understanding that we get to know I am and we are not. Do you catch that? Prayer begins with the glory of the greatness of God. He is Excellent, hallowed, worthy of all we can give him. The Shema taught us to say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In three persons, I added. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And Jesus adds, with all your mind. All of your very being exalt the greatness of God. So when we pray, we pray to bring glory to God. We live our lives as a spiritual act of sacrifice. That's what we're invited to, or a spiritual act of worship is offering ourselves uh, as living sacrifices. That's what Jesus did. That's what he's praying out in John 17. And that's what we're invited to do. And how do we do it? We say, Lord, here I am. You are amazing. And you are trustworthy in all these situations. And I will trust in you. Well, then, if we've answered the why question, I think we need to go back in this week very, very briefly answer those wonderful questions that you learned in English class or in writing class, because not all of you maybe have studied English as a kid like me, but we had to learn the who, what, where, when, why, and how, right? Well, I want to briefly move us through the who, what, where, why, who, what, where, and when today. We just did the why to bring glory to God. The how we'll get into more next week, because we're not going to get there today. But I want us to understand that the very act of coming to God in prayer honors him. Psalm 40 says that I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and he heard my cry. That's not saying that God was busy doing other things and then finally got to us. It's saying at just the right time, in just the right situation, God did what was needed for that. 
In the beginning of John chapter 1, we're told the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The amazing thing about prayer for those of us in Jesus Christ is that God already came down and He's already given us His Holy Spirit to walk with us and to live with us. We are not praying up hoping He hears our prayers. We are guaranteed He already does. And there is no mystery in whether he's walking with us right now. But sometimes he feels very distant. So we need to understand what the scriptures say. How do we go back to him even when we don't feel like it? Even when it's difficult? Well, let's start there. You see, Jesus told us we've got to abide in him. Andrew Murray, great Scottish missionary to South Africa, wrote tons and tons on prayer. And he told us that Christ teaches us to pray, not only by example, by instruction, by command, and by promises, but showing us himself, the ever-living intercessor as our life. If you abide in me, if you live in Jesus, if you just dwell on him, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He is living and active and he is with us and he's given us the Holy Spirit as our teacher and our counselor and our convictor and our guide. And in all these things we trust and say, as the song goes, as he walks with me and talks with me along life's merry way, as we abide in him, we know that he's praying on our behalf. We know that through Jesus Christ, we have access to God the Father and we rejoice in that. Because we have to pray. But who do we pray to? That's often a question. You know, I've got children and I, I've been a youth pastor and they often said, I get confused. Am I supposed to pray to the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit? How does it work? Well, Paul summed it up for us really simply as he's writing to the church about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And Paul explains it pretty simply that we pray to the Father But to get access to the Father, just like in the priestly system, in the Levitical system, we have to go through a mediator. We have to go through someone who has made a sacrifice on our behalf. And that person is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that could do it fully. And Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, he promised us that he would leave us with one who would help us one that would be there to guide us, to counsel us, like I said, and to teach us. And who is that? That's the Holy Spirit. Paul understands all this and very simply, just almost like an afterthought, says, for through him, through Jesus, we both, you and me, have access in one spirit to the Father. Imagine that. We get to crawl into the lap of God. And he hears our prayers because of the work of Jesus Christ that we've remembered here. He wants to hear our prayers. He invites us to seek him. In fact, Jesus tells us, seek you first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness. And it's all going to be added to you. It's all yours. Come on. Come on in. It's not us going up and, you know, and I'm guilty of this. Daddy, you have time to play with me? Do you have time to talk with me? See, look, show. No, he always has time. There's never a time when he's too busy 
to hear from us. And we have to be too busy not to pray. Our lives are too chaotic not to. So what do we then pray? If we know we're praying to the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit, what do we pray? Well, I just want to point out a couple of scriptures that I thought give us a picture of the greatness of what prayer can be when we let God guide us. And by the way, the best way to learn how to pray, it's here. Praying the Word. All I'm doing is kind of pointing you in that direction. God giving Jeremiah hope. Jeremiah, the great unsuccessful prophet that he was, nobody responded to his message, but God kept giving him hope in times of great need, in times of great distress. And God tells Jeremiah, ask me and I will tell you remarkable secrets that you do not know about things to come. And as you read the rest of Jeremiah, you see a picture of Jesus Christ coming. We're invited to ask the Lord to show us what's coming to remind us that the perspective we have of what's right in front of us isn't all there is. That God will deliver us from evil. That God gives us hope and that Jesus is coming back. Ask him. Ask him to give us a picture because we can't handle it all, but maybe just a little. But then we say, well, I'm too weak to pray. Well, the spirit himself helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for. You ever said that? I don't even know how to pray. I hurt so much right now. Maybe even the church has hurt me so deeply because church is full of people that will hurt each other. I'm not trying to make light of that, but it is real and it is true. We keep expecting a different result, but sadly, while we're still in this world, we will make decisions that aren't necessarily always godly. And in those times when we don't even know how to pray, when we're struggling so much, when we don't see an answer. The Spirit Himself is praying for us with groans that words can't even understand. The Spirit knows how to pray when we don't. And He's praying on our behalf. Furthermore, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from their trouble. But Mike, I'm not righteous. I beg to differ. If you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he who knew no sin has become sin for you so that you are the righteousness of God. Therefore, that verse works. Yeah, you're not righteous on your own. There is none, no one righteous. No, not one. But... God made a way for us to have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when we cry out, we cry out as righteous people. I know we don't feel that way, nor should we sometimes. But we have to learn to trust his promises are true. And prayer is ultimately a proclamation of saying, God, I believe what you said is true, and I'm going to live it out. But I I need your strength and help to do it because it's hard. And then finally, Oh, this is a big one. We, we don't like this one. Therefore, confess your sins one to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. That healed there, I believe, can cover a multitude of issues. Uh, Paul tells us that sin causes sickness. Not all the time. Not all of you are sick because of sinfulness. Now, ultimately, original sin, yes, led to sickness. But because of your sinful behavior does not necessarily mean you will have the flu this week or end up with cancer next. That's not how God works. However, our sinful behavior 
a result of that is very unobvious for a Christian, it wears us down. When we know we're living in sin, it's hard to be full of joy, is it not? And when we're struggling with joy, we're struggling to care for one another. And when we struggle to get out of bed, all we want to do is rest or run away. And those things wear on our body because we can't rest because we've got this sin hanging over us. And it's a vicious cycle that, yeah, it leads to sickness and we need to be healed. Or there's the relational aspect of healing. Maybe the sin that needs to be confessing is against one another. We've sinned, we've hurt one another, and we need to deal with it, but we don't want to. James tells us, do it. You will find freedom. God can heal your broken heart. God can heal our sicknesses according to his perfect will. And again, the prayer of who? A righteous person. Us. Isn't that great? Us. Is powerful and effective. I'm a kid at heart, you know that, if you haven't figured it out by now. And when in the 80s, there was a TV show called He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. I don't know if that made it to Asia. But every time He-Man would fight Skeletor, the bad guy, he would raise up his mighty sword and say, I have the power. What a wonderful example of what we as Christians are to do every single day. I have the power. And it is through Christ who gave me the Holy Spirit and access to the Father to pray powerfully that God would transform hearts and lives in one see next door and beyond. So then, this one's easy. Everybody knows when we're supposed to pray. <laughs> we know it. Now we just got to do it. There's a difference there. Rejoice always. See the difference between living in our sin and rejoicing victoriously over it is that it leads us into a place where no matter what the circumstance, we can find joy and hope in who God is. That's why prayer starts with exaltation, always. Because no matter what, God is still amazing. He might be allowing you to go through circumstances that we wouldn't wish on anybody. Or people have treated you in such a way that it's very painful. God is still God. And he says, come on. Come to me and rejoice that you get to know me and that you know that I will cover you in my wings for all eternity. But oh yeah, it might not always be easy. That's what we're told. In all circumstances, we give thanks and we pray continually and we're not anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, we do, we tell God, help me. I need your help. I can't do this. Please provide. I want to give you an example of God's providing power as we finish up. Some of you have heard about George Mueller. Uh, He opened a a number of orphanages in and around London uh, when there was so much great need uh, in that community. And one time came where the children, this is directly out of his autobiography, the children are dressed and ready for school, but there's no food for them to eat. That's what the house mother of the orphanage informed George Mueller. George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. So we're not just worried about feeding one or two. We got 300. That's all of you plus quite a few. And George says, you know what? Go sit down. 
Sounds an awful lot like a, a story in the Bible, doesn't it? He thanked God <laughs> for food. It wasn't there, but he thanked God for it anyway. And then he waited. He didn't go out and tell everybody what his need was. Actually, Mueller famously didn't want to tell people. He wanted to see how God would provide. So he would take it only to the Lord and let God do the rest. I'm not saying we all have to do that. We are actually called to carry each other's burdens. But in the role God had given Mueller, it was the perfect testimony of who God is. And so what did Mueller do? He came, he gave thanks for the food and waited. George knew God would provide food for the children as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I couldn't sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. So I got up and I baked three batches just for you. Can I bring it in? Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. He asked George if he could use some free milk. George smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk. It was just enough for 300 thirsty children. The three chief reasons for establishing an orphan house for George Mueller were that God might be glorified, should be pleased should he be pleased to furnish me with the means, the spiritual welfare of the fatherless and motherless children, and their physical welfare. George Mueller knew that his very life would be dedicated to praying that God would be glorified in how he cared for the least of these. But the ministry didn't start by going and doing the work and praying later. The work started in prayer. As Hudson Taylor said, start your day with prayer. Go to the Lord first in situations. We often want to ask advice of everybody, what should I do? And maybe we should start giving each other the same advice all the time. Have you asked God first? What does God's word say? And please, please have the courage to try not to rationalize the Bible away. If we already know what God's word says, he's already answered your prayer. Now it's up to you to obey. If you're wondering, should I do something and you know what his word has already said to do? Or should I not do something and you already know that his word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword and trustworthy in all circumstances? Then there's your answer. Don't go asking other people to justify the behavior. Seek God to soften your heart so that you can only do his will. Finally, where do we pray? And we finish here. I want men everywhere to pray, women too. Lifting up holy hands. What does it do when we lift up our hands? It says, God, I depend on you. I worship you. I exalt you. It's about you. Without anger or disputing. So often throughout the history of the church, there has been gossip, there has been anger, there has been conflict. That has not stopped in 2,000 years. And as far as I'm concerned, it will not stop until Christ returns. So we, the church, are called to fight against it. If someone speaks against someone else, don't even listen. And then tell them to stop it. You hear that? Gossip has no place in the church. Gossip doesn't have a place in the world. It's useless. It has no function but to tear people down. So stop doing it. Did you hear? No, and I don't care. So stop. Maybe that's mean of me to say, but it's the truth. Maybe I do care. Maybe my flesh wants to hear all the good gossip. 
That's why we like Hollywood so much. We want to hear, ooh, who did this and did that? No. Instead, how can I pray for you? How can I walk with you? How can I be Christ to you in this situation? Where? Well, to do that, we've got to be present with each other. We don't just, we are called to pray in secret in our private room. There is a place for solitary prayer. Do that. There is also a time and a call to pray together. Where two or three are gathered, I tell you the truth. If two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm with them. Well, here's the thing. You got to be together to get to the two or three. Me, myself, and I does not count. In this day and age, hey, my accountability partner lives in a country thousands of miles from here, but we can still pray via Skype. We can figure it out. And I can still pray with you, and you can pray with one another. Get together and pray. Our community group was taught a powerful lesson last night because it was time for prayer. We didn't have a lot of time. We have just a ton of kids in our group. And we needed to pray, but you know, when adults get together, who's going to pray first? Pastor Mike should, because you know, he's holier and... No, it doesn't work like that. Not in our group. And I said, you know, kids, you can pray too. And sure enough, a kid, first time with us. Who prays? God, thanks that we can come together. Thanks that I can be here tonight. Thanks for you. And it's just like, he gets it. Do I? Do I joyfully pray with my family together? Second Chronicles 7, and we're going to dive into this more next week, says, if my people who are called by my name, see, prayer ultimately humbles us. It reminds us that God is and we are not. It reminds us that he is holy and we need him in every area of life. And he says, if my people called by my name, will humble themselves and do what? And pray and seek my face. And when we seek the face of God, he is glorified. And then we turn from our sinful ways. You know, the closer you draw to God in prayer, the more things might bother you about the sinful world around you. And you'll turn from it and run away from it. And you'll live freely because he gives freedom. That's what prayer helps us. And I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Mike, you don't understand. This situation is too broken to fix. Yeah, for us it is. And I could name off 10 right off the top of my head that are going on in our spiritual community here at AIC and beyond. I can't fix them. God knows I've tried in my own strength. But he can. And it starts with the people that prays and responds in prayer, confessing our sins one to another, exalting the glory of God and doing it together that he might be glorified as we work together. Remember, when we pray to the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit, it reminds us of the great fellowship that we have together as sons and daughters of the Most High God, that we've been invited into the great dance of the three-in-one that we've been invited to know him. Well, if you want to get to know somebody, spend time with them. If you want to get to be good at something, just do it. Let's pray. Lord,
You know how to pray. And you tell us to come before you with everything. All situations, all circumstances are yours. So in every aspect of our lives, would you be glorified and exalted? Would you take our burdens and set us free? Would you take our sickness and heal us? Would you take our worry and turn it into rejoicing? And would you, oh God, our great mighty Father, help us to look to you in all circumstances? Amen.